and we just hit record. Um, and I heard your story and it's, uh, it's a good story. It's one that I wasn't really expecting. Um, a lot of, a lot of things kind of make sense now. Uh, you, I guess we didn't, when I was there for those 10 days, I guess, you know, I, I kind of feel bad cause we didn't really get into, into your, uh, your story at all because everything I heard was new and holy shit, man, you had a lot of stuff go on. Well, that, that 10 days was like information overload for you. So, <clears throat> you know, I mean, it was just like, well, and Harvey was probably just dragging you everywhere. So, yeah, that's. That's true. I mean, he, he slow played me though, but you know, that's his deal. He wants, <laughs> he wants to fill out the situation before he drops his bombs on people. I think that, that is true. Yeah. But so apparently, you said apparently so do you though. Cause I, I mean, I didn't know you had two open heart surgeries. I didn't know you were, you went totally off the rails in uh, San Pedro Island one year in college. And I'm thinking that's probably why you don't drink coffee. <laughs> yeah, that has something to do with that for sure. <laughs> yeah. is, that, uh, is that sort of, I mean, I don't know where we want to start, but that seems like a good place. I mean, what happened down there, man? Deep, right? Yeah, so like quite simply, um, I had one of the, the funnest weeks of my life in uh, South Padre, Texas. And... uh yeah, it was just a combination of, of a lot of poor sleep or a lack of. Uh, what I didn't know at the time was basically like cocaine with alcohol was four locos. I didn't know that those, those were like, I didn't know that they were like an energy drink slash alcoholic drink. Oh boy. Yep. And, and so I had like five of them. Um, and so, you know, with my heart condition and everything, uh, it didn't affect me at the time. Like I was just, I had such a great time, but we were in like, uh, the Dallas Fort Worth area driving back. So we were maybe six hours into the 23 hour drive. We had just had some unbelievable barbecue in Austin, Texas. And I start like, my heart just starts like beating fast out of nowhere. And my chest starts getting tight. My left arm is falling asleep i'm starting to get like just tingly and i'm like freaking out i'm like uh, am i having a heart attack i'm that's immediately where my mind goes with my heart condition it's always been at the top of my mind so uh we ended up calling 911 and and it persisted forever and so we called 911 and the ambulance came and met us on the highway we were in backed up traffic and uh they they uh did like the test on me and they're like, no, you're fine. And once I got like in the ambulance, I was, I was calm. It was, I don't, I don't understand quite the depth of that. I guess I just felt like I was in the best hands at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, so then, um, we get back on the road and, and it happens again. And I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. I can't get it to control itself or calm down. So we called the ambulance again ended up taking me into the hospital that time. And Wait a uh, so, you, so you were in the ambulance, you, cal yep. you calmed down on the, on the highway. In the ambulance. Yeah. 
like they didn't take me in the first time. They just like came and ran some tests on me to see if I was fine, did like the EKG and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was nothing like came back. Like my heart rate wasn't, or my, my, um, my, uh, pulse or whatever wasn't messed up. So, um, they just were like, yeah, you can, you can go like you're, you're probably fine. You probably just were a little bit anxious. And I had never experienced anything like that because I was probably the most positive kid you could ever meet growing up. I thought, quite frankly, um, and I owe an apology for people that I, I judged in the past. Like I thought, I thought like depression and anxiety were kind of a myth. Mm. Like I thought it was something that people made up for, um, for attention or for to make themselves feel better or to make excuses. Uh, and I was always compassionate, I guess, but definitely didn't quite understand it and didn't, didn't care to look into it at all. And, um, didn't have the best, uh, perspective of it. And, and right then and there, like everything switched. And what ended up happening was my, my lungs were so inflamed from all the alcohol, crappy food, caffeine, lack of sleep, uh, that it started rubbing on my heart. Oh, and man. so I, I got, I got what was called pleurisy and it was, it was rubbing on my heart. And that's, uh, that's what was given like the chest tightness and the, the, like the numbness and the, the, you know, my body was just sort of reacting. And then, you know, I had some gastrointestinal stuff too with all that. So that's, that's what was wrong. But yeah, it, it started a wave of, of, uh, the next five years, really the next three years, uh, being a little bit hellish with trying to uh, relearn how to be comfortable in my own body and um, be comfortable being in a car again. Every time I would get in a car, I would have like a panic attack just from the association. Uh, And so, so yeah, it's, it's been a crazy ride since then. Wow, man. That's that's a lot right there, right? Like you go, you go from being this positive person where you decide everything was, you know, like what, what's wrong with everybody else. And it happens to you. The thing that's kind of funny to me is then you go into school for positive psychology. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point I was, um, in my junior year and I was like on the back half of, of finishing up my degree in psychology. And so um, it was, it was fascinating to me because then I started taking a deep dive into like what this all meant and I started gripping it so tight that it actually got worse for a while where I was almost hyper aware of what was going on and I didn't exactly know what to do about it. And so I got deep into like the diet game of like, you know, decreasing inflammation and I sort of like. I, I developed an obsession with with eating healthy foods and like anytime I would eat anything unhealthy, my mind would race, my heart would race. It was just like a terrible recipe. I was really just trying to put the pieces back together, but I, I didn't know how. And um, so that was the other piece of it was was losing that sense of identity that like everything would be okay. I've always been a guy who lived life like believing oh it'll work out it'll be fine uh you know things things will always work out if i just have a positive attitude and and i lost like all of that i was so scared for those those couple of years and um 
I, I don't know why exactly I ended up where I am now, but it's, it's, uh, it feels a little bit like destiny that, um, I'm where I'm at now. And I have sort of worked through a lot of that stuff and understand it at a, a much higher level even now than I did back then because of, of being in psychology and all that stuff. Hmm. Tell me, so positives, dude, it's kind of weird. The, the, uh, the feeling I get, or just the, um, how it resonates with me when you talk about positive psychology and, and then your, you know, how you thought of that earlier on in your, in your life, the, those first 21 years that you talk about. Um, because when I went to school at 40, um, you know, positive psychology was one of the, one of the aspects that we did talk about, but give me, you know, give me the lowdown on that. And like, what, what is the best takeaway from positive psychology in your mind? Because it never really gripped me as something that was helpful or realistic. And I think I've been searching for, for that answer maybe for a while Um, because nothing I've read has just really been like, Oh, I, you know, I don't attach to that. Um, What about it has kind of, um, I don't know, resonated with you. Yeah, I mean, I was I was pretty bright eyed and bushy tailed, you know. I think I took that class when I was nineteen or twenty, when I was mm-hmm. in junior college, before all that stuff had even happened. Um, and so I just like I knew that there was I wanted to like learn why the best people are the best people at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I also. Um, you know, after having a few more years of experience under my belt, I do see why you feel that way with positive psychology because, and I think this is, this can be like sports psychology and, and even just psychology in general is, is a lot of this like positive psychology stuff is centered around, uh, around thoughts mm-hmm. and, and like ideas. And so when we, we give people these mental tools and all these things, it's just, it's really just an idea. And I think what's difficult about that is, is, is these ideas have a different, have a, have a tough time permeating into like our physical realm. Like I can know that, that eating healthy is good for me, but like it doesn't permeate me, uh, on a personal level. So I can like know all this stuff. I can think positive and all these things. But at the end of the day, like if my physiology, um, isn't in line with that, then, then a lot of like psychology is writing checks that my body isn't ready to cash. Mm -hmm. And so I understand where you're coming from when you say that, um, now on the flip side of that, I, my biggest takeaway from positive psychology was this idea that, that, um, health, is not merely the absence of illness, but sort of the, uh, the flourishing, uh, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual realms, uh, within us. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of my biggest takeaway. Um, I, and, and, you know, the class itself, I thought was cool. We, we went over like what amount of money makes people happy. What, you know, what, like just, stuff like that. It was kind of a cool class. I don't remember a ton from it, but that was, uh, that was the biggest takeaway is that I think 
most of psychology in general, like as the field developed, like the only reason psychology developed was to try to like fix people who had mental issues. And so positive psychology was flipping that on its head and saying, Hey, what are actually the best people doing? Let's not just focus on everyone's problems. Let's focus on what the best people are doing. And that's plain and simply that's, um, that was a cool sort of paradigm shift. If you ask me. Yeah, for sure. And what you, what you mentioned there, um, I think you said spirituality. I think that's the way I felt about it. It, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it was like, do I have to be a faithful man or do I have to like believe in something that my body isn't telling me that is true or like why? Cause I don't feel like I'm naturally just like, Oh man, everything's going to turn out great. You know, like I think I'm, I think I'm more optimistic in precarious situations than I am in just when things are okay. And I, and I don't, I don't know what that is, but <laughs> I think that's probably why there wasn't a lot, like it, I didn't really connect with it, but, um, yeah. I think the thing that's cool about psychology is no one, no one really knows anything about why people think the way they think. Um, I, it just, I think there's a lot of thoughts that are floating around and, um, whether you're a faithful person or you are super into your physiology or whatever it is, <clears throat> I think those are all helpful, but I think they also inform sort of how you go about your business and your day and your, and what creates your thoughts. And, um, but I don't think by any means we have like control over them just because we're super ripped or we eat good or we sleep good. I think those help, but I just, yeah. I just think that's, that's the part where I haven't gone fully. Like everything is physiology, you know, like I can't, I can't yeah. do that yet. I just, I don't believe that yet. Maybe, maybe at some point that'll be true. But, um, as of right now, I just think there's so much that we don't know why we think the way we think. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you burn on that too. Like we do live in a, in a duality. Like we are an animal, you know, with a physical body, but then we're also, uh, a human with a mental capacity to, to create and solve problems and imagine, you know, unlike any other animal. So I do think it's a both and story. It's a two way highway where our physiology can absolutely, um, lock or unlock certain mental abilities. And then you look at that from the other side and we also, uh, can have our, our mental sort of frame completely lock up our ability to unleash some sort of physical potential in us. Mm -hmm. And so it, it really, I think it, it's sort of, um, you know, a two way streets, maybe a, a, a good way to describe it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, that's sort of where I'm at with it too. Um, now the, that the cool thing is the work that you're doing right now is, has really kind of shifted my perspective too, though, on, on our jobs as mental performance coaches, um, human performance coaches, whatever you want to call it. It's, um, you know, there's a lot more to it than, you know, a master's in sports psychology from a school. I think it, um, I think if you're, if your breadth of knowledge 
starts and ends there, I think you're going to be at a deficit when you're coaching. And that that's just an opinion, right? That's <laughs> yeah, um, personal opinion. Doesn't may not be true, um, but I think that there's so there's so much value in in your own experience and practicing the things that um, are around you and that other, you know, like, like meditation for me, right? Like meditation wasn't something that I really even considered. I mean, it's something you heard about, but then once, once I learned more about it, it was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's actually really helpful. And it quiets the demons a little bit. And I don't know why, but it locks me in, (laughs) you know? Um, and who knows, who knows why, but, um, I think there's things like that and then just being more aware of what what we're doing or for me what I'm doing every day and how that affects me completely feeds into my psychology and my my thoughts or of how I'm perceiving things. I don't know why I just went yeah. on that tangent. Do you know why I went on that tangent? Uh, no, I we were just talking about um, sort of the, the difference or the, the relationship between like the physical and the mental side. Yeah. But yeah, have you ever um, have you ever seen any of Joe Dispenza's work, Doctor Joe Dispenza? No, Mm-mm. he's a really cool guy. He's uh, uh, in my opinion, um, I've been getting really into his stuff lately, um, and he talks a lot about like energy and and abundance and um, you know sort of stuff that I think on the surface looks super um, woo wooey, if you will. Uh, but there's a lot of value that comes from it when you look at it from a scientific standpoint, when, when you look at <clears throat> sort of shifting into different like brave, uh, brainwave lengths and frequencies and, um, like essentially how it allows you to, to, um, almost hack into that subconscious level of understanding. Uh, I think there's some powerful work, work there. You should check it out. Yeah, I'm going to wrote it wrote it down. Um, I I think that the cool thing about people like Joe Dispenza is that what his name is? Yep. Yeah, people like that, and you know yourself and Harvey, and like people that are just kind of on the edges right now of what traditional thinking is. Is those are just it's it's like opening new pathways in the world for people to like think, to think in a different way, right. To, to maybe experience something that might work for them. And that yeah. I, to me, that's like the coolest part of what you guys are doing, you know, and my, what MindStrong is doing and what this guy's doing is like, it, it may sound crazy, whatever this guy's doing. And, and I know a lot of people have accused you guys of being a little bit <clears throat> off the wall. Right. But um, but who wasn't when they first started talking about things, right? Like no matter what it was, like just psychology in general was probably an odd concept for people <laughs> at some point or yeah. physiology and like, and how physiology could affect our psychology was probably a weird connection for people to make at some point. But I just love the, <clears throat> I love that the, the edges are being explored more and, and people, it seems like younger people, especially, are more willing to jump through those or, ex, you know, explore those edges. Um, and then, 
the the fun part is what I'm experiencing in my coaching is like people then take that and then run with it in the way that fits that themselves. I don't know if you yeah. had that experience in your coaching, but definitely seems like there's a more open mindset to possibilities of, of their own uh, capabilities. No. Yeah. I think, well, I do think there's a split happening sort of where I think there's more people than ever that, that are chasing those edges. And then I also think there's more people than ever that are um, sort of rejecting that these types of ideas, Um, you know, and, and to those people, I'd say, you know, look at the way society is right now and tell me is do we have it all figured out i mean there's just no way we have it all figured out there's so much advancement left to be had in humanity and so if we're not pushing those boundaries and and chasing every edge we can get i think it's a disservice to to all the people that you know want to make the most of themselves Yeah, I, it, it kind of, it's the most, um, I don't know what the right word, but just like, uh, alarming thing when you really think about the energy that we spend in a certain way. And when you think about that as humans, um, man, like, could we, (laughs) I mean, we're going to, we're going to get kind of trippy right now, but could we, (laughs) could we have figured out cancer by now? Could we have figured out time travel? Could, you know, could we have populated some other planet by now if our energy wasn't spent towards fighting ourselves and fighting each other, you know, and Man. And, and like fighting our thoughts, you know, like, cause <laughs> we are incredible creatures, like, holy shit, are we incredible creatures, but it's like our, our energy, which I do believe in like a certain energy that we have. And if it's going in all kinds of different directions all the time, it's really hard to know if cancer could have been solved or time travel or whatever, you know? Gosh, dude. Yeah. I'm going to send you some Joe Dispenza podcast, by the way, that talk about this very concept. Okay. Um, and I want to make, I want to talk more about energy in the future here, but, but, uh, dude, like it's, it's crazy to think, I wish more people understood this or, or thought of maybe this viewpoint, you know, like, like nature and, and social connection and good music and maybe the, the smell of a fresh cup of coffee in the morning and, you know, uh, superfoods, all these things. To, to our body are medicine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're medicine for our souls. They, they like advance us as a species and, and provide love and fulfillment and joy. But I think like where that, that idea stops is like hate and judgment and self-imposed limitation and, uh, you know, processed food, like isolation, all of these things. I wish we viewed those things in the same way that we view coronavirus. Like those Mm -hmm. things are freaking viral infections to our body. Mm -hmm. And we literally handcuff our ability to unlock our human potential when those things 
fill us up. Mm-hmm. And so you, you look at like energy and I, lately what I've been trying to do it as, as I've been like getting into the Joe Dispenza stuff is look at everyone in terms of energy, try to take their, their bodily appearance out of the equation and look at interactions between people and be able to say, okay, did this, did that interaction give energy to other people or did that interaction suck energy away from people? And I think if you look at life through that lens, you'll start to view the idea of abundance, the idea of gratitude and love and all these things like much differently because you'll find like that so many of our interactions in, in society and with ourselves like suck energy from other people. And so when you, when you see that, when you see people's energy and whether they're giving energy or sucking energy, that's like a window into their soul, into their heart, into their mind. You can tell like if that person's full or not. Mm. And, uh, I know I, yeah, speaking of trippy, I know I just went there, but like, (laughs) it's wild to think about how energy and interaction just like shows if the person feels loved, feels excited about the future, feels grateful for the present moment. And then you look at the way people perform, if they're not full, uh, you know, there's going to be some compensation along, along the ride there somewhere. So then how, so then how do, how do people get full? You know, is that like a, is it, it's gotta be different for everyone or do the, do the basic concepts of love and (laughs) gratitude fit for everyone and if people find those things then you know everyone's going to be full yeah i i can't say for certain uh you know uh i i'm not uh um i'm not bullish enough to to say that with absolute certainty but what i what i do believe heavily is that people hang on to the past because they're not excited enough about the future or grateful enough about the present. Mm -hmm. And what I, so getting back to like the idea of sports psychology and how sometimes these ideas, they're just ideas and they can't penetrate, um, you know, into our physical sort of, uh, into our physiology. I look at like visualization and gratitude. Those are two things that can, physically change our body. You know, if I, if I work on practicing gratitude, like I can physically, physiologically trigger, you know, certain hormones in my body. I can literally make a a physical change, you know, in my state. Uh, Same thing goes for breathing. And then you look at, at, at visualization. If you can get so excited about the future and so, so appreciative of, of what you have going on in your, in your life, then you don't need to hang on to the past. You don't need to uh, worry about uh, you know making the same mistakes you've done before because you're so so happy to be in the present moment that you know it no longer matters what what happened in the past. I'm going to show up as my fullest self right now. So that's that's what I do believe. You know, when you look at breath work, gratitude, visualization, what you're really doing is you're sort of rewiring your subconscious mind um, and creating a new layer of, of your past, but, but 
much more future and and present moment oriented. Can you can you describe to me and whoever listens to this the what happens when you visualize or have gratitude? What happens in your body? Um, from kind, like a physiological standpoint. Yeah, I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but you said it, so I want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, dude. Okay. I mean, uh, so when you look at gratitude, um, there's there's definitely a specific uh, <clears throat> sort of cascade of of, of uh, neuromodulators that goes on in your body, uh, and and so uh, oxytocin and, and serotonin, I believe, are the main ones involved in gratitude. These are sort of our love and appreciation connection hormones, and this is why gratitude works best when you pair it with specific, Sorry. specific people. Um, versus, like, if you if you're grateful for your car, uh, the connection is rarely as is is as strong than mm-hmm. if you pair it with an actual person mm-hmm. um, because there's sort of an emotional connection there. Mm-hmm. Like one thing that I often do in my gratitude practices is, is uh, my, my grandma was kind of my best friend growing up. And one thing, uh, my, my most vivid memory of her is we would play cards all the time mm-hmm. and yep. we'd get super into it. And, and her laugh would like just brings me back to that moment when I was a little kid, just so feeling so loved by my grandma. Mm -hmm. And, um, so those feelings of like oxytocin and, and serotonin just like flood my system. And I'm sort of overwhelmed with, with appreciation and, and happiness in the moment. And I've used these tactics actually to get over my fear of flying. I, I, uh, didn't fly for like 10 years, um, because I had a bad experience ironically on the way back from Seattle. Um, but yeah, so, so that's sort of the idea behind gratitude is, is, uh, just eliciting these actual physical responses in the body. It's not just thinking about appreciating. It's literally, uh, you know, transforming your physiology and then visualization. That's going to be more of like your dopamine, uh, your excitement, about the future, you know, it's, it's, I want to say the, my sort of quote again, which is that I think that people hang on to the past because they're not excited enough about their future. Um, and so if, you know, if someone's struggling to break a habit or if they're, they're really, uh, you know, stuck in a certain situation, it's because something about the future is not exciting them enough or motivating them enough or pissing them off enough to break away from that sort of, uh, you know, enslavement to whatever, you know, emotional thing that is from the past. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I could have used you when I was done with my career, man. I lost five years of my life just because the future was not nearly as exciting as what my past was. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I played in the big. I was like, I'm. I can't play in the big leagues anymore. I'm not going to make that amount of money ever again. Uh, what What am I doing? That was like a yeah. really tough thing, and I think a lot of people go through that. Where you know they they get out of school, working a job. It you know there's a, it's not great, dude. Like when I got out of baseball and, and saw what real life was about, I'm like, I was working at <clears throat> a butcher shop for seven twenty five an hour. 
I was like, what, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> you know, like, is this my future? Uh, you know, it was just like, that was a really tough thing. And I, I that's, that's a, that's a hard thought to think that visualizing something better would it would have helped me. Like, I don't know how that would have worked, but it might've, I was just in such a bad place. There's no way I could have been like, Oh, you know, like I'm really happy. I'm at the butcher shop again today, making seven yeah. twenty five an hour. You know, I think that's, that, that would have been really difficult. I think it is really hard for people to get out of the, uh, you know, the despair, Man. Or whatever it is that they're in. Um, you know, Dude, I didn't know you went. I didn't know that that was your path afterwards. Oh man, I was yeah, I was uh, cutting lawn. I you know I was I definitely said that I was um, doing landscape, but I was just mowing lawns, mowing lawns for this dude, yeah. cruising around uh, in a car with four other dudes that were like you know twenty two years old, and I'm thirty five. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah. you know mowing lawns for eight hours a day and then working at the butcher shop and like going well this this is not fun yeah. you know what i mean yeah do you uh, think those kids are like man this guy must be miserable yes dude and i thought that exact thing i was like yeah. i was like these guys must think i'm the biggest lose like i played in the big leagues and they're like what don't aren't you didn't you make money like what are you doing here you know, and, and then I'm thinking, didn't I play in the big leagues? What am I doing here? You know, <laughs> you know like, so. Yeah. And um, that's the ego. It, like that's the ego just freaking exactly. taking over. Exactly. And so, so I, I want to sort of walk through that too, because I know exactly what you mean, because that's what I went through for that five year period too, from on, on probably a lesser scale, but maybe more of like, I would say even more of like a literal survival scale with sort of my my panic you know episodes and like all that stuff you know um mm -hmm. so I, I do think it's worth it to walk through like that process because for me in that moment i was not excited about the future you were not excited about the future what did we have to look forward to was it ever gonna get better than this who knows you know and so um i you know with mindstrong we always talk about how you have to tame the animal to get mm -hmm. to the human mm-hmm and so like, you can't just think about gratitude out of nowhere. Like you, um, it's not going to resonate. It's not true in the moment. There's so much fear and cortisol and, and just like negative, um, frame framing going on when you're in that state. And so we do have to like tame that, that like from a physiological level first, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's where like the breathing comes in. If you can, and, and this is where like the Joe Dispenza stuff makes so much sense to me because, um, if you can sort of, uh, tame down that, that animal based fear survival thinking, you know, the, the, the lizard brain, the amygdala, uh, whatever you want to call it, if you can get that to sort of simmer down, now you open up, um, the, the pathways for more logical thinking, for more, uh, problem solving and, and creating and, um, advancing growth. And, and there's interesting research about how poverty changes the brain. Mm. There's so much chronic stress going on that, 
these people can't solve simple problems. The, the classic example I used or that was used in some of the research I saw was these people would go to physical therapy and, and they'd get prescribed like 25 reps of something. And they physically weren't able to do 25 reps, but they weren't able to problem solve and think like, oh, well, maybe I should just do like five or 10 reps. They would think like, oh, if I can't do 25, I can't do any of them. And so it's like very black and white thinking. You can't problem solve. You can't progress as a, as a, you know, a human. And so you look at stress you look at any type of stress, it's that same. It doesn't matter if it's poverty, if it's survival, whatever it is, um, it's all stress from like that animal standpoint. So if you can teach people to, to get there first, you know, and the, the, the benefits of breath work are documented, you know, you can physiologically, you know, switch that lever, uh, with a pretty high success rate. Right. And so from there, um, now we have our, this is the Joe Dispenza stuff. Now we have ourselves in a position where we can get into like alpha waves, which is the waves you get right before you fall asleep. It's a very relaxed state. Um, and it's when our brain actually becomes most suggestible to new information. It's the most programmable, if you will, um, as, as uh, it can get. And so from there, now we can start thinking about what we're grateful for. And now we can actually permeate from the mental realm into the physical realm. We can actually change that state and actually feel those feelings of gratitude, feel that relaxation happen. Uh, and from there, you know, then, okay, now I'm good in the present moment. I'm really grateful. Now we can start to visualize a more positive future because I'm not in a place where I'm so caught in just, surviving the present moment now i can actually appreciate the present moment and i can get excited about the future and i think um so many of us are are looking for that excitement in in all sorts of external realms but really it, it does start with looking within and sort of calming that that inner you know animal i like to call it uh and from there we can we can start to play with fire so there is an actual time to to like get into that spot of visualiz visualization or gratitude. Like if you're saying I, before you go to sleep, you're in a space where you can do that, that would be a better time. Yeah, before bed is a great time. And that's, that's you know, documented too. They say the best time to like, um, if you want to memorize something, the best time to do it is before bed because it's the last thing you're thinking about. But also your, your brain is sort of in this, uh, this alpha wave state. And then um, it's more, you're more pro programmable at that point. And so, yeah, so you can do that. Um, uh, I had another point too. I was going to say there, what was your question? There's an actual time that you can. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 So, so the beauty of it is I, is I wouldn't say there's an actual time, but there is an actual process. You can, you can get yourself into that state. Um, in other times other than just before bed too, you know, you're just, um, trying to get your brain waves to be a certain frequency, if you will. Yeah. That, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I don't know if I, if I'm just being negative here or like pessimistic, but like what <laughs> happens when you wake up? 
what do you mean? Sorry. So you go to sleep, you talk, you, you know, you, you're in a, in a good spot mentally to put yourself in a position to think about different things and, you know, maybe the gratitude and visualization of what could be in your, you know, um, but, but you just, you know, had a tough day working at the butcher shop for seven twenty five, and you go to sleep, you, you know, you're in bed and you're like, you know what? It's going to be all right. Like things are going to be better. And then you wake up and you got to go to work again. Like what? Yeah. What, what happens when you wake up? You know what I mean? Like what happens to those thoughts? Is it, is it, <laughs> are you saying, are you saying that it's like, no, you know, no, those, like, those thoughts are very real, dude. Those thoughts are very real. It's, um, and I, again, I'm not going to claim, like, I don't, I'm so new to this stuff. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert by any means. What I do believe in is like the 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 concept of it and i'm i'm uh experiencing great joy from it right now and so what i would say is that person who's working for 725 they get up they wake up in the morning um that's why it has to be such a diligent practice Mm. because because it's it's um like you're just trying to make that more of your reality right Mm -hmm. if you can that, that perception creates the reality. And so the more diligent I am about getting in that space and creating that reality, the more it starts to become my reality, the more I start to, you know, huge buzzword here, but manifest what I, what I want to create from my life. Mm -hmm. And I can, you know, get excited about the future. If I, if I cultivate that, um, that, that feeling of, of excitement about the future, um, so, so yeah, so then you get up in the morning and, and that's how I start my morning pretty much every morning is I take some deep breaths. Um, I try to get myself awake. Um, so I'm not, I, and I'll actually even, um, you know, try to just smile. I'll try to just smile, you know, and, and sort of hack those, um, neurons in our brain that recognize a smile. And so I'll, I'll just start to get the wheels turning and thinking more positive. And it, and it is like, it is work. It's a, uh, it's a practice. Yep. It's, um, but I do believe the more and more that I prime those pathways that it will become more my reality. And I, and I like am a firsthand example of, of, of it finding success for myself. And so that's what I would say is, is everyone, you know, I always look at it as, everyone has their own narrative, right? And it's what narrative are you going to continually tell yourself? And so if you are miserable, you can go ahead and keep telling yourself you're miserable and it's not going to change anything. But if you do want to get better, uh, if you do want to enjoy life more, you can start to tell yourself that story. And at first it, it may not even be true. And, and, uh, I, I was working with an athlete the other day and he, he told me he wants to be more accountable. And I said, Oh, that's great. Do you really want to be more accountable? And he said, (laughs) well, 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 yeah, I guess. I was like, so you actually want to like clean up your room more? And he's like, no. (laughs) Oh, so you, you, you actually want to do your homework more? And he goes, no. And I'm like, all right, good. So don't lie to yourself. I don't want you to pretend. I don't want you to, to lie to that internal state because your body knows your body knows if you're lying or not. Mm -hmm. So, what I said was I want you to work on the internal stuff before you start to try to translate that into external stuff. 
So I don't want you to be more accountable right now. What I do want you to do is start trying to cultivate more excitement about being, being more accountable. I want you to visualize being more accountable. I want you to practice being grateful for all the things that you have in your life, being grateful for your parents, even though they're yelling at you to clean your room. They do want what's best for you, right? And so, so that's where we started. And that's much more digestible than a lot of like, you know, our goal setting stuff. Cause a lot of stuff, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to uh, get faster. I don't actually want to put in the work to do that. But, uh, and, and so it makes it really hard for the body to believe that that's true. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is I can get excited about getting to work. I can be grateful for the opportunity to, to do that stuff. And it becomes more of a reality. And so I, I think it comes back to uh, one of my sort of favorite sports psych mentors growing up, uh, Dave Williams. He would talk about the concept of being right versus being ready. And so you look at like baseball and we could easily go up to the plate with our ego trying to be right. So we could say, well, uh, the average baseball player gets a hit, you know, if, if they're good three out of 10 times. And so realistically I have about a 30% chance to get a hit here. So not very good, uh, much less than half the percent. If I flip the coin, it's much more likely that I'm not going to get a hit here. Uh, the pitcher is throwing super hard. It might move. I don't know in what direction. He might actually throw it much softer so it can throw off my timing. Uh, oh, and by the way, it's one versus nine. Um, so, you know, good luck. I might as well just walk back to the bench, right? The odds aren't good. And that's, that's being right. That's the ego telling us to be right mm-hmm. because it protects us. It, that ego protects us because, you know, it doesn't sting so bad if at least we were able to predict that we were going to suck. And so instead, let's start to, to cultivate the mindset that gets us ready, right? Versus ready. And so if I'm, if I'm, if I want to be ready, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to absolutely demolish a ball in the gap here. I'm in control of my process. I am the best hitter in this ballpark. I have put the work in, I've put the preparation in, I'm going to give myself the best chance to, to compete here. And I'm just going to be a dog and I'm going to fight. And so all these things are, you know, not necessarily true, but they do get us ready to compete. And so, you know, really what we're trying to do is get us away from that, that ego story, if you will, and get us back to a narrative that just gets us ready to play. And, and so that's the same thing when I'm talking about gratitude, visualization, breath work, we're just preparing the body to be the most ready to perform. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the, the thing that came to mind when you said all that, and it was so clear what you said just now that, that made a lot of sense to me. And, and I think, you know, relating it to, you know, I, I don't talk about ego. I was totally thinking about myself when you were, when you were talking there, but um, I think there was an aspect of um, me, me telling myself like, okay, the, the mo I remember the moment, like I, I was able to move on was the moment that I, I was able to tell myself it's not going to be what it was. Like my life moving forward will never be, it won't look like what it used to, but it will look like, it will look something like something different, but 
that is the kind of cool part about life that I like is the new experience that is untold, the story that's untold. And that is what got me up in the morning again, you know? And I, yeah. and I think that's, <clears throat> that's a huge aspect of what you're saying there in, in a way, you know, you, you know, you're talking about, you know, a, a guy going up to bat or whatever it is. It's like, you know, maybe for that guy that's four for four and he's got his fifth at bat. Well, if he's not able to let go of the four hits that he just got, the fifth at bat's not going to look anything like the first four at bats, right? Or your life today will not look like yesterday. So if you try to approach it in the same way, then you're going to be searching for something instead of being open to the possibilities. Right. And then, mm. and then when you're, when you're, when you're kind of stuck searching, then, then you're closed off, right? You're, you, you don't, you're, you're rigid. You're rigid. Your senses aren't as in tune to what's happening right now. Right. That's that present moment part that, everyone loves to talk about that is so true, right? Like you can't get there until you let go of whatever the thing that you're trying to search, that you're trying to remember or trying to discuss or remember that feeling or remember that sensation or whatever it is that that's not going to happen again. Like you, you can't, it's not possible. It's a new, new time. Right. Um, yeah. And you know, on a big scale, like my life I don't know why I'm talking so much about my bullshit here, but like, like this is the way I'm like, this is the way I'm like hearing it, you know, the way way I can conceptualize it. But like on the big scale, uh, life was harder to get to until I let go of what was happening or what it used to look like. And on a small scale, like an at bat can't be as good as it should be or good as it could be if you're trying to do what you did in the last one, you know, and, and you can, you can kind of like, go in between those two um, examples and kind of in, in any point of life, like going to the the same restaurant, right? How many times we've we done that? Oh, that place is great. You go there and then it's like, man, this wasn't anything like what are you like last time I came, right? Well, maybe, maybe it's a new chef. Maybe, you know, like maybe they had a bad day. Like who knows? Maybe you're not, you know, maybe you got COVID and you can't taste shit, you know, like who knows what it is. Um, <laughs> But if you're expecting things like there's just so many things that go into um, why it's so hard to have gratitude sometimes or to think about the future in a positive way, because we have these expectations and expectations are just the fucking devil to me, man. Like when we start having expectations of people, oh man, good luck. Like it's just... (laughs) Cause that, that's where that control comes in. We think we have some sort of control over people and we don't have control over anything besides our yeah. own shit. Right. Um, so yeah, a little tangent yeah. there, but man, no. holy cow. No, how freeing, how freeing though was that when you were able to say like, it's not going to be the same as it was. Oh yeah, exactly. It, you I let mean, go of that self judgment, the mm-hmm. ego sort of, stepped aside and you you decided like i i still have some juice left to squeeze out of this thing it may not look like what it did before but by golly it's gonna be all right yeah (laughs) and the cool thing is that i love the mystery right i think life is just a big mystery we don't know what's gonna happen and i and i love that part like i love going like oh man i wonder what's gonna happen here you know like (laughs) yeah as long as you create a life where you are open to those 
possibilities and not stuck in the expectations. I think it's just like, man, who knows? Endless possibilities. And then, and then yeah. you, and then you can have more gratitude, right? Then you can have that ability <laughs> to access those things that are the rich part of life, you know, and, and that yeah. rich part of life is playing cards with your grandma. I mean, it really is like, you can't get mm-hmm. there until, um, <clears throat> until you're, you're actually there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, dude. Like what I'm hearing is like, you're just like, you're essentially, you have to learn how to be a kid again and like let go of all those, you know, expectations, mm-hmm. if you will, you know, like it's, uh, I, I do believe much of life is sort of unlearning what you learned growing up and learning to be a kid again. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, by the way, when you mentioned that four for four thing and then going up for the, the fifth at bat, arguably one of my most uh, frustrating things about, about hitters and like just the ego in general is when so, I, I, how many times have you heard it where, especially when when people are younger and maybe not as as mature uh of a of a hitter or a player and they're three for three and they're feeling good and they they you know how often have you heard this in the dugout dude i'm just i'm gonna absolutely swing out of my shoes here i'm gonna try to hit a bomb (laughs) yeah how many times have you heard that Uh but it's like okay well you're three for three today so what was working for you all right well maybe let's like stick with that approach because that approach is what got you to three for three. And, and then what hap- what, I, what ends up happening is that player swings, you know, out of their shoes and maybe they pop it up or they strike out or maybe they hit a bomb again. But what it did is it got them out of a rhythm. And all of a sudden now that doubt creeps in of like, okay, uh, maybe I don't have it all figured out. I, I thought I was just so on. I thought I had it all figured out to the point where I could get away from my process and still be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, I think it's detrimental. And, mm-hmm. and so you look at like, even on the flip side of that, like when you're over three and you don't have the inner confidence to just still show up with the same excitement and the same energy of the ballpark. And it's really hard to do. I get that. And so then you start, you know, you start tinkering with your swing, you start, uh, you know, wearing a different helmet, you freaking take <laughs> off your batting gloves. Yeah. And so yeah. you're searching for all these external things when really what we're trying to do is build up an inner confidence that doesn't depend on if you're three for three or over three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, this Mike Trout's always the example I use. Um, and I don't know if this is true, but what I always say is like, there's gotta be players that are, almost or as talented as Mike Trout, but Mike Trout is Mike Trout because he doesn't let his 0 for 10s turn into 0 for 30. He's too confident. He loves the game too much to let those external results dictate, you know, how he's going to show up at the ballpark or how much he's going to let his physical ability do the talking, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I'm I'm not in professional baseball, so you could probably attest to that much more than me. Is there guys that are freakishly talented but just ride that roller coaster of of external results? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, of course, but I mean the the great ones don't ride it too long, right? You know, um, yeah. This is a this is a well, yeah. It, 
you know, I've, I've also heard guys go like, um, you know, I, I had a player say to me one time, like burn, whenever you're in town, I never get a hit. And, but right now I'm going to get a hit and they go up and get it. It's like, I think guys were like four for four when they've said that to me or something. It's ridiculous. Like nearly every time. And I'm like, how's that? Like what goes on right there? And it's because they forget about whatever thing they're trying to do. And they're just like, they have the vision of they're getting a hit somehow. They don't know how they're going to do it, but they are going to get a hit. Right. And that's where like that goes into that energy of like, no, at all costs, they're going to do it. Um, and, yeah. then, and then I wonder why that's not sustainable, you know, but I think it's just because we're human. Oh, no. Yeah. It's, there's always sort of some regression to the mean, but if you can cultivate that more consistently, you know, for a big leaguer, that's worth millions of dollars to just be <laughs> a little bit more consistent at it. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I, I think you brought up a great point too there. Like the, the thing about that is what they did is they created a plan. They created a plan and a vision for what they're about to do. And I think the number one thing that holds athletes back is they don't exactly know what their plan is or what their system is for, uh, you know, for, for being successful. And so it's really hard to be motivated if I don't have a vision for what I want. Mm -hmm. Really hard to be compliant with my, with my, you know, game plan. If I don't have one, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so I do think just the simple act of like, I'm going to get a hit here completely like narrows in a vision yeah. and as simple as that is. But, um, like you said, it's, that's a, that's a tricky ride because then what if you say that and you don't get a hit? Well now, oh crap, that tool doesn't work anymore. So I'm still just, you know, uh, now I'm falling to the level of my mediocrity as I was before. Yeah. And I think the difference is there f- is forcing it, you know, like before, before he told me he's getting a hit, he thought about it and saw it. And then there was so much energy behind it that he believed it with every ounce of his being when he uttered those words that he was going to get a hit. But if he was, <clears throat> but if I was like, Hey man, remember last time when you said you're going to get a hit and then you got a hit, just come up and say that to me every time, you know? And then <laughs> he comes up to me the next about, and you know, like he doesn't have that energy. He's like, burn, I'm going to get a hit. It's like, well, guess what? Probably not going to, cause he, cause he did, he may get a hit, but it wasn't with the same energy or belief system of that vision that he just had that made him say that. Yeah. But yeah. And, and that's why you, and, and it's also, um, it's also why you can't have your system or your plan be so results focused too. Right. Because that's such a flimsy, such a flimsy thing. You can do everything right. and still get out. Mm. You know, one of my favorite mental guys in my Juco days was Steve Springer. Mm. He, you know, he used to always say, uh, you can do everything right and go for four, mm-hmm. you know? So you, you, you gotta have a, a process that's nails for you. Yep. Hit the ball on the inside part of the baseball uh, you know, uh, compete on the inner half. You know, like, I can't remember what his, what his sort of four main components were, but, uh, he was just nails on, on having a plan and, mm-hmm. you know, it provided a lot of guidance. Yep. That, yeah. <laughs> 
I, I think that, yeah, I, I, I'm almost like part of me wants to say that's not true. Like you can do everything right and go for four because I think that if you really, and, and I'm not saying this is like exactly right, but I, I, there's a part of me that wants to say, if you believe it beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to do everything you can on every single pitch to put the energy into that that pitch to get a hit, then you will get a hit out of four at bats. Um, <laughs> well, what if you hit? What if you hit four absolute missiles on the screws, and they're just at people? What it wasn't a hundred percent like your full energy wasn't into it, dude. I so and and I'm just this is to, I'm devil's advocate right there. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I, I wouldn't take that one and put money on it, but I remember. Um, Dude, we're going we're going deep here. This is probably the longest one I've done, but <clears throat> um I remember uh having a <laughs> so Barry Zito's first big league start was against me in Detroit. And yeah. do you remember Barry Zito? Oh, yeah, I, I sure do. And hammer curve. Hammer curve ball, yep. And we uh allegedly met up at a bar uh super late. Um, like he was already there and I showed up and he was in a, it was like one in the morning and he was in a full suit and I'm like, what the hell? I mean, there's no reason to be in a full suit. It was like, you know, it wasn't like a, like a travel day or something. It was like after a game and it was, <laughs> it was like two years after that first start that he had against me. And I'm like, man. I guess your career is doing all right. You know, I think he had won the Cy Young the year before or something. And uh, we started talking and he, he, dude, he said something that I'll never forget. Cause I, he said that when a guy makes an air behind him, he takes responsibility for it because he thinks he didn't have the energy into that pitch that would have given a better hop or, went to the hitter, went to hit it in that exact spot, which would have made the air happen. And I'm Dude, like, that fires me up. <laughs> I know. And I was like, wow, that is, I mean, you talk about like taking full control over yourself and um, not letting outside things affect you. Like, man, that was it. You know, like that, that allowed yeah. him to be, fully like full ownership of everything that he does. There was no, yes, man. there was no energy into anything else in his world besides his is like what he did, what he thought about what, where he put his, his vibe, you know? And I was like, man, I'm going to start doing that. And, you know, of course, and first guy that made an <laughs> error, I'm like, fuck that guy, you know, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I because it's so hard. That's a hard place to get to, and you know that that's. Dude, that's what's so cool to me is like the belief aspect of it is so powerful. Like he truly believed that, and so whether it was true or not, it like didn't matter. You know, like exactly. he just believed yep. that. Yeah, and that's you. Know, I think about like all the great, you know, even like in in just the the real world, if you will. Like a guy like Wim Hof to me is so amazing because the whole world 
essentially lives their life saying, show me the research and then I'll believe it. Mm-hmm. But all the great, they have the belief first. And then like all of a sudden now, like people are like, show me the research and he'll like do his stuff. And like, sure enough, the research like lines up yeah. and it's like, holy cow, like he just believed so much in it and he didn't wait for it to like necessarily be true. Mm-hmm. He just bought in and he did it. Mm-hmm. And so many people are scared to live their lives that way. <laughs> yeah. Un- understandably yeah. so. Understandably yeah. so. And, and so here's um, taking it sort of full circle with the Joe Dispenza thing is uh, and, and energy in general and, you know, reaching a higher energy and sort of that spiritual aspect of, of everything becoming supernatural. A lot of what he talks about is how he does these like retreats with people and they'll have spontaneous cures to certain ailments that they have. And his most recent retreat that they did, and, and I don't want to come out and flat out say that this is true. This is his claims, and I'm and I'm bought in personally. Okay. I'm bought in personally. Okay. What he did was, um, they did the retreat. They did all the the breath work and all the the visualization and connecting with the subconscious and all this stuff. Um, and what they did was they looked at all the people's like uh, you know uh, bio numbers, and um, there was one person's numbers in particular who who stood out where the guy came in like particularly low on himself and yada, yada, yada. And after the retreat, his numbers were incredible off the charts. He had a big transformation. And so what they did was they exposed his pre retreat blood to the COVID vaccine. And sure enough, it was, it like got fully infected. And then they took his blood post retreat and exposed it to the COVID vaccine or not the vaccine, the COVID virus. I think I said vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They exposed it to the COVID virus. And uh, the post-retreat blood all but pretty much rejected, like to the point where they would say like there was no infection, rejected the COVID, you know, the coronavirus. And so it, it like, and I look at people who are all, you know, positive and, and there is, there, the research even supports like people that have a more positive outlook. They're, you know, uh, have a higher sense of well-being. Yada yada. Like their immune systems are better. You know mm-hmm. that like that they're more resistant to uh, certain you know infections, getting sick, uh, you know, chronic pain, and all this stuff. And so why I'm believing so heavily in this stuff is because you can become so. Um, powerful internally that the external stuff starts to no longer permeate that uh you know that inner fortress if you will that temple and and like barry zito to me is like the the perfect example of that he just believed so much in himself that he wasn't going to let like the external stuff affect him so mike trout he wasn't he's not gonna let the over three affect him you know and, and uh the the person in traffic who gets cut off they're not going to let that affect them versus the person who's on a super low frequency. They're going to honk the horn and give the bird and say, <laughs> fuck that guy, man. I just, oh, yeah. People are so stupid. Yep. Think about how low frequency, low vibration that energy is and how 
how much that guy like or that person wants their life to be better but mm-hmm. is just sort of stuck you know mm-hmm. and i truly believe we can cultivate that and and so that's uh like that's why i'm i'm personally so excited about the future is because i do believe that that is a possibility mm. and that in itself is is exciting me heavily and making me look forward to each day a little bit more and and strive to be a little bit better and uh for any athlete you know out there i think that's like what we're all after anyway mm-hmm. and so why not give it a shot and if you don't to me that tells me there's something in your past that you're holding on to you're not excited enough about the future so you know be curious give it a try see what happens the worst thing that can happen is is you're right back where you started and some people i think would rather just stay where they're at than than risk that sort of uh rejection or whatever it is that's that's a good one to end on man it sounds like you've uh you know, in, in your personal story that you told, it's like you, you had that, it sounds like you had a similar belief your first 21 years. And yeah, and now you're, it's, uh, like, it's, it's like, am I, am I wrong on that? I'm sorry. No, I think, I think you're super right. I, I do think like I'm getting back to that place where I'm super excited about life. Um, but I think I also know pain a lot more than I did back then. I really hadn't gone through a a ton of adversity, um, which like now I think just makes me stronger, Mm. you know, Mm. and more resilient. Um, and you know, so that's, that's where we, we always, you know, say, choose your struggle, right? It's, uh, it's, uh, everyone has problems. What's the problem worth solving? That's Mm. the the Harvey Martin quote. Mm Mm-hmm. Solid, man. That was good. I love that. That was really good. Um, you want to shut it down? Yeah, we can totally shut it down. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fired up. Uh, I, I'm going to work out here at some point. Um, <laughs> so, so I can either carry that into my workout or, or, you know, we can keep rocking. It doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> okay. I'm about to do the same. So let's, uh, yeah, I'm going to work out. You're going to work out. We're going to, we're going to end this day pretty good. Heck All right, yeah, man. Brother. So, um, I should, I should just throw this out there. How many people are going to make it this far in the podcast? No one, but like, let's do it. Um, <laughs> you're, so you're, you're stud, you're, you work, um, with, um, you've been talking to, um, about Harvey Martin and he is the founder of the mind strong project and you work with him in that. <clears throat> um, I don't know what you'd call that, that, organization, business, uh, like badass company, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so you can be found on Mindstrong project, right? Where, where else yep. can people find you? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the best place to look. I also have my own personal like Instagram and Twitter and yep. LinkedIn, you know, um, at yeah. Austin Hanson seven, you know, but, um, yep. okay. Say it again. At Austin Hanson seven. Okay. Um, don't have, I don't have a Facebook. I got hacked out of Facebook, so that's not the best place to find me. But other than that, <laughs> that's the next podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I so. think it would be easy to say that you're like Harvey's right hand man, but I, dude, I think you stand alone for sure. Like you're, you're a stud at this stuff, dude. So, um, 
yeah, the world's better for you, dude. So I, yeah, thank you for getting on and, um, and hammering this out. Burn. Yeah. I, yeah, I, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on, dude. It's, uh, I've been wanting to have a chat like this with you for a long time, just ever since, you know, you came out to Minnesota, it feels like we sort of, uh, our, our, our ideas, our energies, whatever you want to call it, aligned pretty heavily. So, um, this was fun to, to hash it out and I have no doubt we'll probably do this again in the future off the air or, or wherever. I have a feeling we will. Beautiful right, dude. Well, thank you so much, man. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks.